This morning, after reviewing those uh, four things, the joy and trials, the faith versus works, the teachers and the tongue, the wars and fights among us, I want to start this morning in James chapter 5. I think in, in some of these uh, areas, especially in this fifth chapter, we might kind of step on some toes, we might speak things, but hopefully we're not only in agreement with them, but we're allowing uh, the Word of God to change our lives and do its work. I want to, before I really get in here, um, I want to say again, as I've said before, I want to be a good ambassador for Jesus Christ. We all do. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that that's what we are. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pulling through us, be ye reconciled to God. But in the vernacular of this chapter, he is going to round us off by, by talking about the coming back of Jesus Christ, the second coming in such a way that this whole book of James comes into more sharp focus. We are changed in the likeness of Christ. We're awaiting Him. And as we are awaiting His return, God is ceaselessly working in us to conform the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8. So, Jesus Christ is coming back. Christ is coming back for you and for I, and it is going to be very soon. And I don't want to get into the the, uh, the scriptural reasons for that, that, was, that probably would be a good thing to do, but we can do it from Genesis to Revelation. So the people that want to say, well, they've always thought about that, well, we need to think about that thinking and realize that God has given us, in His Word, glimpses of what it's not only going to be like in the days before He comes back, but the fact that He is constantly telling us to watch, to watch, to watch. So chapter 5 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl, for your miseries are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers have mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. That's the Lord of hosts. That is the Lord of every created thing. If you look back to when we were in the book of Daniel and Michael fought the enemies of Persia, if you will, that he was held back from delay from coming to Daniel, the Lord of hosts, he's the Lord of all created beings as Michael was a part of his host, his, 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 his valiancy, if you will, on his people. That's what we're talking about here. The Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Verse 6, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient. Let's read a little bit down. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Wait patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also, you and me also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned or judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. There's that word endure again. Patience, endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Back into chapter 3. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. For the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Do we pray for one another? Wow. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from the death and cover a multitude of sins. Verse 19 is one of the, is the main reason why I wrote the book, The Call. To warn those that sit under apostate teaching, to warn those that sit under men that don't that don't believe that our position in Jesus Christ is secure. Those men that don't believe that Jesus Christ is not imminent. In other words, that His coming is, is, is at any time of His choosing and on and on. Come now, you rich, and weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. You know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to been on this earth long enough as being a Christian, seeing this all too much creep into Christ's church. I just want to read a couple of, of uh, verses, one in Proverbs 11, one in Proverbs 23. The first one, Proverbs 11, 28, he who trusts in his riches will fall. God's no respecter of persons. You're not going to fall from your salvation because we, if we, excuse me, if we truly have salvation, we are not to lose it. Eternal salvation is just that, eternal. I'm not saying that. But falling, we will fall from our good standing. You know, that's one thing about a Christian. A Christian is a man that has been saved by grace. When we sin, we don't fall from grace. We fall into grace. That's the whole part of the belly of, of Paul's admonition to the Galatians. But he who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a branch or flourish like foliage. Listen to this one. Do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. Will you, get your, will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly made themselves wings. We talked about this. And fly away to heaven. Wow. We're going to have a, well, we're going to see later on with the master himself talking about true riches. Diametrically opposed to what the world says true riches are. Are we afraid to live in a, in a less uh, looking house than, than somebody else? Are we, uh, are we have enough pride that we should have the best cars and, and as Christians the best clothes? And you know what? That's the, that's the whole vernacular, if you will, of the teaching of this false apostate professing church today is that we need to be filled with, with all the goodness. After all, God does give us all richly, richly everything to enjoy. That's not what that Bible the passage says in when Paul says that to Timothy. Everything that God gives us, He gives us for our enjoyment, for our good to enjoy. But the church today, we're trusting, and we have people that are on a famous uh, uh, channel, cable channel, that uh, the majority of them have jets, have a six-figure uh, income a year. Uh, I could go on and on. You better weep and howl because your miseries are coming upon you. Your riches, verse 2, are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. King James Version says cankered. I love that. They're corrupted. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. You know, when we're going to get into, into the prophet Haggai in a little bit later, we're going to see that, that a lot of that prophet opens up the fact that God is screaming out, your houses are all paneled. They're all sealed with, with the most elaborate things, and yet my house lays waste. We can spiritually glean that honey to say that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And yet sometimes we get so much concerned, and I'm saying not so much for us, brethren, but for those that out 
that are out there, beware of false prophets, beware of those in this professing church that are going to come to you and say, uh-uh, hey, you know, Jesus coming back? you got to be kidding me. You read the writings of Rick Warren. You read the writings of a Joel Olston. You read writings of some of these other mega people. Judgment? They won't talk to you about judgment. Christ is coming back. We need to be concerned about the things of, of, of Him. His bidding. We need to be watchmen. Let me tell you something. Ezekiel was a prophet that was used of God, and he wasn't, I don't believe, a very well-liked prophet. But he says in Ezekiel 33 that God said, I set you as a watchman. Okay? And we're all watchmen, brethren. I set you as a watchman. When I blow the trumpet of warning, and you receive that warning and that trumpet, and you pass it on, and you warn those, and they turn from their sin and they live, then great. But I tell you, if, I, if, if you hear the sound of the trumpet, and you do not sound the warning, and the wicked perish in their wickedness, their blood I will cry on your hand. So well, that's an Old Testament, is it really? Paul, in uh, Acts chapter 20, we know on the beach with the, Christ, with the elders of Ephesus. He said, I am innocent from the blood of all men. Paul wasn't a murderer. It was the aged apostle Paul. He loved. But he was innocent from the blood of all men because he sounded the trumpet. He said, for day and night, for a space of three years, I have not ceased to warn you. I am innocent from the blood of all men. I fear for these Christian leaders that stand before the Lord. They are not innocent in the blood of men. Because they are, like Jeremiah said, peace, peace. These false prophets are prophesying when there is no peace. Brother Jesus is coming back. And that's why the book of James is so important today. Joy in trials. Faith that produces genuine works. Teachers especially, but us that have that have tongues that communicate the things that God would have us communicate. Wars and fighting among us that are abated by the power of God and not reformation and not, not I will pull my bootstraps, but generally replaced by a life of God that cannot be denied. That's what we want. This is in verse 3, your gold and your silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you, and they will eat your flesh like fire. For you have heaped up treasure in the last days. Listen to this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? That's what the world will tell you the opposite. Hey, you know, he who dies at the end of his life with the most toys wins. So it's a popular bumper sticker. But look, in my community, we, 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 you know, we, we curbed social ills, we, we fed the poor, and we got all this stuff. Is, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But is that what Jesus said we're here to do? No. We are here to preach the gospel. We are to snatch people from the fire. We are here to be a light. Because our ship is coming, man. You know? If you've ever read, really the really true account of what, what God valued what happened on the Titanic. It wasn't the fact that the ship went down and, and you know, everybody, you know, lost. It was such a tragic, you know, thing and whatever. John Harper was on that ship. And you all know that story. If you don't, I think we have a DVD back there um, from Paul Wilkinson. It used to be anyway. John Harper was a man who was leaving... <clears throat> the port in Europe on the first voyage of the Titanic. And he wasn't supposed to go on the Titanic, and you probably all know the story now. I've recounted it several times. 
Even his own congregation urged him not to, but he did. So he put his little girl on there, and they went on the Titanic. And, and uh, of course, that, it was 11 or whatever, that, that faithful night. Uh, and by the way, it wasn't a very big uh, gas that sank the ship. But, but nonetheless, uh, John Harper went up and down the ship crying out for people to be saved. The ship was was endoomed. It was icy water. People weren't going to get saved unless they made one of those little rubber boats. How do you put a couple thousand people on a few little rubber boats? He was crying out for people to be saved. He When he when his little daughter was secure on one of those boats, and by the way, she'll live to tell this story. I think she's still alive. But anyway, he he uh, gets thrown into the icy water. He went around to people and uh, before he perished under the icy waters proclaiming, are you saved? Are you saved? That's what we're on, brethren. We're on a Titanic that's sinking, and our mission here is to allow people to understand that there's a God that has saved them. There's a God that cries out to them, receive eternal life. Is that diametrically opposed to the riches and then the heaping up garments and heaping up everything here and now because we have to make this place a paradise before Jesus will come back? Are you kidding me? These are the philosophies of men. And Jesus said, you out there are running after the traditions and the philosophies of men rather than of me. And we see it. Look at verse 4. The wages of the laborers among your fields which you kept back by fraud cry out. Fraud. Wow. I even... There's fraud in the church. There's fraud outside of the church. There is embezzlement in the church to the degree that you would be horrified if you knew some of it. I don't know, obviously, all of it, but I've read enough accounts and stuff that there is fraud within the Christian church. There's extortion. You know what extortion is? Taking something by force, whether it's physical force or, or intimidation or whatever, that's all in the church as well. It is, and how in the world could James have saw that way back then? He is warning people. Look out for this. He said, you kept back by fraud those that have mowed your fields. I knew of a man, I talked to you, uh, this story, I know quite well, actually. Almost 50 years. He almost completed his 50th year of retirement. How does that work out? I don't know. I don't think those figures are right. But anyway, about two weeks before his retirement, the company denied his retirement package and went to a, went to something else. He worked all his life for his retirement and he didn't get it. Is that fraud? Yes, it is. His rightful due was denied. I might as well write a phony check and try to cash it. But he says, those cries have even reached God. The one who fights for us and he goes on and explains in verse 5, you've lived luxury, or excuse me, you've lived on the earth of pleasure and luxury, that you fatten your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Wow. Fatten your hearts, you've lived luxuriously. We see that all over the place today. And it's not wrong to take vacations, it's not wrong to have a you know 56 inch TV, it's not wrong to enjoy these things. We enjoy almost every Sunday night a, a TV that Cam bought. It's, it's wonderful. I don't know how big it is, but it's not bigger than I have. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that have lived luxuriously on this earth. They live, you know, to quote a very apostate, misguided, false prophet out there. I don't want a cross. I want the streets of gold now. That's what we need to watch against, brethren. This is not our home. Let's not put down roots here. Let's eagerly wait the coming of the Lord to be about His business. And by doing that, He fills us with joy, especially joy in trials, a true life of the vibrancy of God. And we know that because Jesus says, I do the will of my Father who sent me. This is His will. Wow. Wow. You fatten your hearts in the day of slaughter. Verse 6, you have condemned, you have murdered the just, but he does not resist you. You know why? Because our vindication comes from God. I don't have to fight. I don't have to defend myself. I know that God, well, you know, keep your finger here real quick. You don't have to turn, but if you, if you have notes, just remember one thing. Psalm 31. 
Um, like I said, uh, you can turn there if not, I'll read it to you. In Psalm 31, this is another Psalm of David. I want to read verses 14 and 15. It says this, But as for me, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. Verse 15, My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of the enemy. My times are in your hand. We don't have to go around. God will vindicate us. If we've been done unjustly, He will vindicate us. But I want to warn you that there are those out, and even in this professing Christian church, that will take advantage of your, of your well attitude. Let's get on to this. Verse 7. An exhortation of what's gone before. Therefore. I love that word, therefore. Therefore means I've stated a point now. How are we to act? How are we to, to, to you know, therefore, in this, in this verse 7, you can say therefore as kind of a gateway from all that's gone before to what we're going to talk about now in just a few verses till we're done with this book. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Wow. Be patient. Until the coming of the Lord. You know, we, uh, we've often told the story of the two men that retired and built their establishments. But I want to I I go on from that, um, and if, if you haven't heard that before, then you should have. You've been sleeping or something. As I've said that many times, I think it's one of the most effective um, parables of what men do. <clears throat> Remember the one that's a retirement? He has a retirement home here and the great, wonderful establishment. He will, he will not get to stay there. So he puts everything he has into it. And a lot of us put something into a, a Christian life that's non-heavenly. It won't, we won't be able to stay there. And then you have the other one who wants to do the same thing, but on Mars, and he will never get there. Foolish men. Remember, remember Luke 12, the rich fool. He had everything going for him. It didn't say he didn't have belief in God. It just said he had everything going for him. And, and God came to him and said, You fool, this night your soul is required of you. Who things will he be left? Luke 16 in hell. It did not say that, that the rich man didn't, have, didn't know about a God. It just says he didn't give God his due. He lived sumptuously every single day, just like Peter. And he was in hell. He changed, his, he changed his whole vernacular of speech and the way he believed, didn't he? From going, I live lunchlessly every day. I'm clothed in purple. I have all I want to go tell my friends. I have five brethren. I don't want them to come here. Now he's speaking of want and he's speaking of destitute and he's speaking of emptiness because that's what life is apart from God. And if it's like that beyond the grave, you're going to end up like that guy in Luke 16. That is the seriousness of the coming of the Lord and the intimacy and understanding now is not the time to be frugal with our thoughts. We are to be established in our thoughts. God never says, hey, look, you know, I think what you ought to do is kind of compartmentalize your life, you know. No. God says, I want your whole life, your thought life, and everything as well now because there's going to come a time when you're going to want that back. You're going to want it back. And you can't. Be patient, brethren, verse 7, the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Wow, wait a minute. Let's look at this. Waiting for the Lord to bring the rain. Waiting for the Lord to bring the early and the later rains. He's not going to bring the rain all of a sudden and maybe once. Maybe he waits for his own, his own timing. Now we're back in, in chapter 1 again. Be patient, my brethren. You know, wow, if, if you will, 
turn way back to Deuteronomy chapter 11. If you will, if not, just listen to the, listen to the narrative. Sometimes to see what God actually did in, these, in this situation. Remember where James is saying, hey, be patient. Because God is going to produce the latter and the former rains. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse, we're just going to read a few verses. Chapter 11, verse 12. Actually, let's look at verse 11. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. Verse 12, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it. Remember that. They're always on it. He says, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. That's what God does for us. His eyes are always on us. From the start to the finish. Look at verse 13. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. Look at verse 14. Then I will give you the rain of the land in its season. The early rain, the latter rain, that you may gather it in your grain, in your new wine, in your oil. Verse 15, I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, so you will eat and be filled, and on and on and on. A life that is truly changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A life that is truly changed by the gospel that says that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. By this you stand, and by this you are saved. This is what causes the life to be born again, and we truly have the life of Christ in us. We need to be patient. God will send the rain when he wants it. The early and the latter rains. And why can we wait patiently for it? Because the coming of the Lord is at hand. Can't you see what looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ does? James explains it. John proclaims the truth in John, 1 John chapter 2, that, that the waiting for the coming of the Lord produces a pure life. It produces the fact that not only it purifies your life, but the fact that we don't want to be ashamed at His coming. But God will send the rain. God will send his times of fruitfulness and the latter rains when he decides. And he does not produce people that go around anxiously wondering what's going on. He says in verse 8, You also, again, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Brethren, is your heart established? Let's get down to the core of this. You know, we could sit here for years and talk about good doctrine, but what we need to understand is your heart established. Is Jesus Christ it, or is there something else in your life that's rivaling him all the time? And you know it. The Apostle Peter in, in 1 Peter 3 says it this way, that we are to establish the Lord God in our hearts. And then we can answer those who ask for the hope that lies within us. 1 Peter 3.15, I believe it is. It's establishing first. And then we have a solid hope. Then we have a solid reason for what lies within us. And it is all because, what is my hope? Huh. Read the epistle of Titus, this is our hope. This is our blessed hope, the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It produces, you add the epistles, you add the, the letters of John, the teachings of Jesus. There is something about knowing that my Lord is coming. That is where your priorities start aligning up with the Word of God. You cannot have your priorities somewhere else and believe in all your heart that the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
You cannot. That's where a lot of people's frustration lies, brethren. A lot of people that don't understand these, these doctrines of Christ, they're frustrated. What am I to do? What am I to think? The coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble, verse 9, against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. The judge is standing at the door. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 13. Let the Lord be in hand and do this, knowing the time. Let this word sink in. This is Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Again, and do this, do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep. Some of us have been sleeping. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand, just like James is saying. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in rivalry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Oh, Paul never denies that we still have a sinful nature. Paul never denies that we are still in this body that wants to do anything and everything apart from the Word of God. But he also says that our victory is in Christ, who sent the Spirit to indwell not only with us, but be in us forever, John chapter 15. And this Spirit overtakes and is powerful, and it subdues, and there's a war. But Paul says, and also in Romans 8, 23, that we wait for the redemption of our body eagerly. We long to have a body that's free from sin, a body like Christ that will be united with our soul and spirit, and wow, we will be like Him, the Bible says. We will see Him as He is. And does that not fire people up? I don't, I don't understand it. Maybe I'm in the wrong place. There is nothing comparable to that. And brethren, you know, I, I have not been a Christian just a week or two, and, and none of you else have either. We know. The Bible gives us a knowing. Okay? The time is far gone. The day is at hand. The night for us has waned. It's over with. Jesus suffered the night for us. Jesus suffered the darkness for us on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now he's risen from the dead, ascended the Father for us. And I know by Ephesians 2, 6 and other places that my position is there. I'm no longer in the darkness. So why are we living this, this duality of problems? Why are there so many unhappy, lukewarm, frustrated Christians The Lord is coming back. He says at the end of verse 9, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When I knew my father was coming home after being told that your dad's coming home, and, and uh, you know, far cry different than when he actually got there, wasn't it? Oh, hey, you know what? Why are we? Why? Why is this professing church? A lot of people so much like these virgins that are out there. There's five contrasting the other five. The other five are prudent and says, you know what? I believe my Lord. He's coming back, and I'm going to get ready for him. So I'm going to have my lambs trimmed, my oil, and everything because I believe him. You know, I think a lot of times unbelief manifests itself in your lifestyle, in your true priorities, because you really don't believe that Christ is coming back. So the five get ready, and the other five are going, yeah, well, you know, I got my lamp, and that's cool, you know. I profess, I have something in there, but I have nothing within the lamp. I have outward show, but I have nothing in there, and we all know the story from there. Open up to us, open up to us. I'm sorry, the door's shut. Just like when God put Noah and his family in the ark, and they went in the ark, guess who shut the door? God. 
The Bible says that once the door was shut, the rain came down. The door did not have a chance to open up again. And that's what this modern apostate church thinks, that we not only have time, but you know what? God sees our good intentions, and the door will be open. No, the door is shut in Jesus Christ. When we come in Christ, a true biblical understanding of what it means to be in Jesus Christ, we are in Him for good, and it produces something. It doesn't mean we won't have problems. It means we grow. Wow. My brethren, verse 10, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Do we need patience? Oh, wow. Remember we were in, in, uh, in Hebrews, we read verse 11, or excuse me, chapter 11. That was a wonderful chapter of, of what always going on. You could trace all these great patriarchs and whatever. But it also goes and breaks into chapter 12 of Hebrews. It says, Therefore, since we have surrounded ourselves with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles and run with the race. There's that word again, endurance. We're back in James chapter 1. Patience and endurance. People have gone before you. Are you a good example to people? A lot of you have been Christians many years. Are you example your your kids or, or example to other people that have known you've been a Christian a long time? Do they see in you the validity of Christ, or do they see in you, you know, well, yeah, I, I was this one day, and I, I, you know, patience and endurance. Do they see in you? Do you speak the same the same way that you did twenty years ago? You know, you've been a Christian for thirty years. And you know, it's, it's something that, that needs to be said first before we finish uh, these, this up. And thank you for allowing me the extra few minutes. You know, we, we as Christians sometimes think that it's up to us to produce fruit. It's not. It is us to be the willing branch so that the vine can pulsate the sap through us. It is never un- us to us. We are to be willing, believing Vessels and God said He will produce the fruit if we would be willing. Now, why? Now we are willing through patience. We're willing through good works. We're willing because I want to do the will of my Father. Yes, it takes your will. So I have good news for those that that just seem to be defeated all the time. Why don't you stop? And ask God to be the Lord of your life, and ask God to fill you, and use you as the instrument for his glory. You know, back in Deuteronomy chapter 21, I believe it is, we're talking all about the disobedient son, but about the altar. You know what it says on that? We don't have time to go through it now. But it says, when you build an altar to me, I don't want you to to build it with hewn stones. You know why? Because it's works. You don't build me an altar out of hewn stones. In other words, you don't sit there and cut it and do this and do that. You build me an altar out of unhewn stones. And you read the, the, the understanding of that scripture. There's no human works. You don't wield your tool upon it, he says. There's no human works in there. So, so there's good news. If we've been frustrated and we don't see any fruit in our life, maybe it's because we need to stop and ask God to fill us with his spirit. And allow his life to be lived through us. And it won't happen overnight, but it will you'll see changes. Little by little, precept, line upon line, you'll see your life change. And you'll see that maybe you're a little bit more patient with your wife, or maybe a little bit more patient with your kids, or maybe you view the world a little bit different, or what have you. See, when when sap starts flowing through the branches. The dead leaves naturally fall off. That's what spring is all about. That's what resurrection life is all about. The old has passed away, the new has become. So if you're frustrated and you don't see anything happening in your life, realize that, hey, you know what? Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. Let him fill your life. And as the sap starts running through the branches in springtime and in fall, or excuse me, in fall, going into the deadness of winter and springtime, what happens? I'm starting to get apples all over my yard. The dead starts falling off. That's what happens. And the tree's renewed. Wait with patience under the coming of the Lord. Take the prophets, verse 10, as an example of their suffering and their patience. Look what happened to Job. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure, verse 11. 
You have heard the perseverance of Job and have seen the intended of the outcome intended by the Lord. That the Lord's compassionate and merciful. We can also endure. You know why we can endure? Let me just give you one example. Just write it down. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 21. We can endure because His mercy is new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. What? Mercy and faithfulness? You know what? The Lord knows nothing apart from mercy and faithfulness. Those two go together on your life and on my life. Verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by anything other oath. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Swear. You know what it is to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain? Most people think it's cuss words. That's a byproduct of it. But what it means is not to give him his due. What it means to give him lip service and your heart is far from. What it means is to profess him and live your life according to, as if there were as if he either didn't exist or he doesn't have the power or he doesn't care. You know? A lady or a man can do that in marriage. how does a you know, I can tell you exactly how a, a wife takes the name of her husband in vain. She took his name as, as marriage. If she drags it through the mud, she's taken his name in vain. How much more do we do and not give God his due? People say, well, you know, I've been accused before of saying, well, what you teach is unattainable. Humanly, yes, it is. Biblically, you better read your Bible. It's not unattainable because God, this is the light that God produces. And we are the recipients of it. That's why there's so much hypocrisy. And there always has been hypocrisy. And before I finish this, brethren, let me tell you, as you all know, the oldest deception known to man is what? Spiritual deception. In the garden, yea, hath God said. That is the oldest deception known to man. Forget fraud, forget extortion, forget the mob, forget anything else, murder, whatever. The oldest deception known to man is spiritual deception. And it was an attack on what God said. And it continues today, and it will get worse as time goes on. Wow. Verse 13, let's read through these. If there's anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you suffering, let him what? Pray. Wow. We did about four, four and a half years ago, a, a, uh, um, I think it was Wednesday night, I'm not sure, on a prayer. We might have to do that again. What is prayer? Why does God institute it? What does it do? Is it just something that pacifies our, our, our suffering and, and our burning conscience, or is it something that's really viable? Does God institute prayer as something that will be a benefit to us and glory to Him? Uh, what is it? What is prayer? Prayers of the Lord. Prayer is not a man-made institution. Prayers of God. He instituted it. He gave it in compassion and mercy, and he gave it for our benefit. Jesus, when he prayed, he says, I didn't pray for my benefit. I prayed for your benefit. To God, and he thundered, whatever. Prayer is a wonderful, blessed thing. Are you suffering? Do you pray? Is anyone cheerful? Do you sing psalms? Or is anyone among you sick? Verse 14, let me call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Oil is not only a symbol of gladness, but it's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's also a symbol that God is able to handle all things. Is that a guarantee that God will heal? No. God didn't take like Paul's thorn in the flesh. God obviously didn't take away Timothy's ailment because Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach ailments. But yet there's people out there today that in this wealth and, 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 and faith seed and all this, you know, this word of faith and everything else, they're saying, you know, God promises healing to all. Well, you better talk about the disciples to Paul and to Jesus himself. Never promised healing. Jesus Christ in his atonement provided he has the power and the ability to heal at his will. Johnny Erickson Tata, a lovely woman, was not healed. She's been a quadriplegic for years and years and years, 17 years old. Broke the C3 in the back of her neck. She's in her 60s now. 
beautiful woman of God, God hasn't healed. God, she will be healed in the, in the, uh, in the resurrection. She will be dancing in the millennial. She is on fire and serving Christ now. Wow. Let's not take the Bible out of context. Look at verse 15. The prayer of the faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your your trespasses or your faults to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Faults. Do we, do we, are we trying to, are we confessing our faults to one another? Are we confessing our short? Are we transparent is what is, is another thing too. Are we transparent? Okay. Do I, do I come and because, because, hey, I, I do the majority of the speaking up here. I don't want the people here to, I want them to think that I'm perfect. So they'll listen to me more. <laughs> you know what? That sounds funny. You may be laughing, but that's the way a lot of people that communicate think. I can no way show the way I am. We speak boldness of the word of God. We speak understanding that I am a sinner saved by grace. I need, I need to have, we need to sharpen each other. I need confidants. I need people that will, will come to me and, and surround me just like you do. Confess one to another. Pray for one another. The effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, I have just a few more minutes. Please, this is important. Put your finger there and turn back to 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings. It's before the Chronicles. After Samuel, it's uh, if you, if you, some of these, you know, people say, "Oh, these stories are great." Well, you know, they're stories, but they're history. They're history that 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 truly happened, and God uh, did it for not only His purposes at that time, His glory, but we read the Bible, and the Bible as for our admonition. First Kings chapter seventeen. Wow, the story starts out. Remember? Remember Ahab. Ahab was a wicked king of Israel. There is his wife Jezebel, remember? Elisha was, was called. Elijah was called to deliver a message to him. And as he stood before him, Elijah stood before Ahab and said in verse 1, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew and a rain these six years except my word. Now here's a prophet speaking the word of God to a king who, did, who was wicked to begin with. Didn't want to hear this. Then we go on, let me just read this real quick, verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Kidrath, which flows into the Jordan. And as you all know, he went by the brook, he had ravens, verse 4, to feed him there. He did all according to the word of the Lord, and he stayed by the brook, which flowed into the Jordan. The ravens brought him meat in the morning, verse 6. You know, he had breakfast and everything, he drank from the brook. Verse 7, wait a minute, hold it. <laughs> the brook dried up. Verse 7. Verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came. Rise and go to Zephyrath, which is before Sidion, and there you'll see a widow. God provided situations, and yet he always took care of Elijah. So he went and, and took care of, of this widow. Remember her flower bin that we all we should all know this story. If we don't, shame on you. You should, you should read it and get to know it. Her oil was about to run out. She was, she, they were perishing. These are desperate times. She was, she was baking her last cake for her and her son. They were going to die. And this man, God sends this man of God there, and he starts speaking the word to her, and lo and behold, the oil didn't run out. Verse 14. The bed of flour was never used up. Verse 15, ate for many days. Wow. Then all of a sudden, well, wait a minute. Then all of a sudden, tragically, and, and again, verse 17, her son dies, and what does she do? She blames Elijah. 
Why don't you say, give me your son? And, and he lays upon him, and, and the Lord brought his life back, and, all, and, she, and she realized that this is a man of God, and so on and so forth. Verse 24 says, The woman said to Elijah, By this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth, and it's of the truth. But look at, look at 18 verse 1, and then, then we'll go back, and then we'll, we'll end. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. God's going to send early and latter rains, not only in our life, but in our situation. Our job is not to figure things out. Our job is to wait upon the Lord, to commit our life to Him, and walk accordingly. The effectual fervent prayer of a, of a righteous man, brethren, can accomplish much. Now, the problem here is, why are we righteous? Because we do. We do righteous because we made righteous, but we are righteous in Jesus Christ. We have an account with God that's carte blanche. Our account never runs dry. Our oil bin never runs dry. Our flower jar never runs dry. We have an open account with God. If we are walking with Him in sincerity and truth, we have an open avenue called the effectual prayer of the righteous accomplishes much. God is a wonderful God, and He opens up the avenue of prayer to us that walk before Him. Because 17 says, well, that was, you know, I think that was Elijah, you know, that was a Moses, you know, that was an Aaron, that was all these people that were just spiritual giants in the past. Really? Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He wasn't some super giant that God created because he wanted, you know, no, he had a nature like ours. And he prayed, what? A little? How's your prayer life? You know, I think if we really knew what, what God had given us in prayer, our prayer life would be uh, a major part of our life. How's your prayer life? Just answer it inside. Is it waning? Is it is it pitiful? Is it like a little, you know, a little bit here or there? He prayed earnestly. God answered. You know why? Because even Jesus said, even the unjust judge said, this woman less by her continually coming to me, she wear me out. How much more God will answer those speedily that come to him. He prayed again earnestly and priest's fruit, didn't it? Brother, I'm telling you, a life changed by Jesus Christ will produce fruit. And I'll end with these two, 1920. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways, will save his soul, and from death and cover a multitude of sins. The Lord is not interested in those that, that if they've never walked an old lady across the street to start walking old ladies across the street, the Lord has considered that you have passed from death to life, that the sins are forgiven. That's why we're here. It produces something, a changed life. And I'll end with this statement. The greatest marvel of the New Testament is a changed life. It is a changed life, not a hypocritical life. If you're a hypocrite, stop. If you're sinning, stop. And let God have his way. He's master. He's savior. He raised from the dead above all principality and power. And he is seated at the right hand of God, and he is making intercession for you and for I. Let him have his way. Cam, would you play, please? Thank you, our God in heaven, for the truth that we find in James. Uh, many subjects, uh, many different truths, just like the Proverbs uh, in the New Testament. We thank you that we might dwell on these things as we do the Proverbs so that they might uh, become a part of our lives, that we might be pleasing to you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And what does God do? 
God doesn't say, you know what, man, I'm really going to make you sweat. I'm way over on this end of heaven, and you got a long way to go, pal. You better enjoy it. No, God's compassionate. He runs out to meet you. There's always forgiveness and always joy when we turn to God in repentance and trueness of heart. And he throws on the robe and he sticks the ring on him. And, you know, my son was lost. I thought he was dead, but now he's found. That's our God, man. You know, we don't deserve it. But that's how he is. And for Jonah... He prays that in the in the in the belly of a fish. Wow. I'm almost I'm almost done here. Verse 70 says, When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. My prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Verse 8. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. There we go. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. You talk about um, you talk about power. Look at verse ten. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. You know, salvation is of the Lord. You know, this is a, a, a running, uh, I believe, a prophecy of, of God setting things straight that the world has seen it, although they won't acknowledge it or they won't admit it, but they will definitely say it at the end of this day of grace. That's what Psalm 98 simply says this, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God spoke and it was done. You know, one of the one of the I want to end with this Psalm thirty three, I believe it is thirty three verse nine. Don't quote me on that. I love it. Actually, we'll read Psalm thirty three verse eight and nine. If you want to write these down or underline it, I do. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Verse 9, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Wow. That's Psalm 33, 8, 9. That is absolutely wonderful. The Lord spoke to the fish. The fish accomplished what it was there for. Just like the fish that had the drachma that, that Peter caught and opened up. He accomplished what he, you know, God had prepared that fish to do just that. God had prepared his whale to do just that. And whatever is happening in our life, God prepares beforehand. That's what I love about God. You know, as a good mother uh, or, you know, father, but usually what a mother would do, mother prepares for her little ones at a time. She knows what she's going to feed him. She prepares for him. She knows that she's going to give him a bath or whatever the case is, prepares for him, nourishes them, has them in the forefront of her mind. You know, always that's what God's doing to us every day. He prepares what we need. He prepares what we should do. He prepares to instruct us, to encourage us, to fill us with joy, to fill us with his promises. He promised us eternal life, you know, how will we not, with his Son, give us all things? You know, it's not hard to see. Next week, uh, we'll get into the rest of this uh, wonderful book. Um, we've gotten halfway. We'll get into the next half next week. We're going to leave with the fact that the Lord spoke the fish and, and out comes Jonah onto the dry land. Wow. Jonah was in death in the belly of the fish and now he's on dry land and back to life. Now God is an amazing God and I want to end tonight just with that, with that note. If your 
devotional life, if you will. I don't know if I really like that term, but if your life of, of with God seems to be dry lately or, you know, status quo or whatever uh, comes to your mind, just remember that God is ever seeking our heart. He's ever seeking us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He never fails us. Remember that bumper sticker I talked about quite often? It was back in the 80s. Feel far from God? Who moved? And that's a biblical precedent. The Bible says, we saw it last uh, Sunday, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you double sinners, you double-minded people. God is ever wanting to have fellowship and sweetness. He always wants to be there that we might behold his beauty. That's what he desires. Have you beheld the Lord's beauty lately? Have you told him you loved him lately? If you feel far from God for any reason, come to him and cry out to him and tell him, Lord, I feel far from you. I... I I feel like the last preceding, you know, days or whatever, I, I just don't feel right. I feel something's wrong. I know I'm not to go on my feelings. My relationship with Christ is based on fact, what he's done for me. He, it's, it's the faithfulness that he is towards me. That's my solidity. My whole life and fellowship is based on God and his righteousness and his sacrifice. The only thing that ruins my fellowship with God is my sin, is my lethargic attitude. If you have not stood in awe of God in prayer life lately, get into it tonight and ask Him, Lord, show me anew. If there's areas I need to confess, I want to confess them. If there's areas of darkness somewhere, show them to me and He will. That's one of the things that the Spirit does is, is convict of sin. We are His temple. My wife does not like spiders. Our house is our temple. I am not, if I can help it, going to allow spiders in the house. Why are we allowing sin in His temple? That's the problem. If you have a problem and you feel far from God, who moved? Cam, do you want to pray, please? Thank you, our Father in heaven, that you are faithful to pursue us with your loving kindness, your mercy, your grace. And we all pray that when you do show us your mercy and grace, that we would not turn our back on it or despise it, but simply humble ourselves give you thanks that you are a kind and merciful Father that loves us infinitely and eternally. We thank you for the blessings that you provide for us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. For the Lord has spoken it. And as we said before, all traces of the Edomites, as far as we can tell, disappeared by about 70 AD, by about the time of the desecration of the temple and thereabout. But nonetheless, this is what God said would happen. Wait till we get to Nahum and read about the downfall of Nineveh, one of the most bloodiest, cruel civilizations ever. Is it too bloody and cruel for God? It's nothing for God. It's stubble for God. This world has not... Again, this world's going out of control for those that don't know God. For us that know God, it's perfectly going exactly the way God had intended. He's in control of everything. That should bring so much comfort. Look at verse 19. The south shall possess the mountains of Edom. The south. I love that. The naked in some translations. It's the south. It's much like an area, if you look again, like we said last week, the map of the United States, how Texas kind of goes down. It's the south end. The Negev was an area that of great importance for Kadesh Barnea, for example. 
And the spies went up to Kadesh Barnea and looked at, out at the land, and they came back and saw it and so forth. But what I think is the south, again, verse 19, shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. That's right now. You know where that land Philistia, uh, the uh, uh, Gaza Strip? And that area in there. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim, the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Galilee. This is absolute victory. And this is going back. We can take these promises all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 15, 17, and so forth. They're going to possess that land that God had promised to Abraham. And the captives of this host of the children of Israel, verse 20, shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Shephard shall possess the cities of the south. Verse 21, Then saviors or deliverers shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. And I love the way that Obadiah ends his prediction or his prophecy. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Just as God in all of, of history, all of time, from the time that you were in him before the foundation of the world till, the, till all eternity, where God is, we are going to be. Where God is, his people is going to be. They're the apple of his eye. And that's going to be the wonderment of the earth. Can you imagine? These scriptures will be around. Can you imagine at, at, at the, the millennium kingdom and everything that's gone on, people pick up God's word and read the prophets and read, read what the prophets say. And they're going, Lord God, you did exactly what you, were, what you said you were going to do. You're so faithful. God, forgive me for the time I've wasted. And not looking at the word of God, and it is true. Every single word of it is true. We don't have time for the false teachers. We don't have time for the false prophets. We have time only for those that are going to take God's word as what it is. Truth Every single word of it is truth. I'll end with what I've written in my Bible, and I believe this. Though it does not seem like it now, my God will reign over all the earth. Cam, do you want to pray for us? Thank you, Father, heaven, for preserving these writings miraculously, writing prophets, we look back, we see that what they have spoken was fulfilled and is being fulfilled and in the future will be fulfilled mm. because of your faithfulness to your, to your children. We thank you for the freedom to study your word and the truth of it.